Amen. You guys can be seated. Uh, my name's Jason, uh, in case you don't know, and I'm one of the pastors here at Covenant Church. I do want to dismiss our school-age kids to the back uh, with the lovely uh, Mrs. Wood. And so, um, and I believe the McKenzie's as well, they're lovely as well. And so, um, no disrespect. Um, we're going to be in uh, Acts 9 this morning, if you want to go ahead and turn there, uh, in your Bibles. And we're going to look at today at uh, the conversion of the Apostle Paul. Um, and when you think about that word conversion, uh, I, was, I was thinking this week, um, I grew up uh, in a Baptist church um, in the 90s, and so you can imagine what that was like. And... Uh, we did this thing around Halloween. I don't know if y'all know about this, called Judgment House. Anybody? Okay. Um, and uh, there were some good things and some bad things about the Judgment House. Um, I remember that uh, th- the big pull of these things was, I guess, to be kind of scary because uh, it's Halloween, um, but also uh, to kind of give this portrayal, this story of where it can go one of two ways, right? You either go to heaven or you go to hell. And you have the two rooms, the heaven room, and you have the hell room, and all those kind of things, right? And I remember that I played, uh, we had this story, and I can't remember, I believe this guy's kid got sick. And so I was like 16, and I played this kid dying. And I nailed it. I mean, I just nailed it. Um, I was so dead. And and I, I was thinking about this. I've been reading, you know, Acts this week and just the nature of conversion. And then I was thinking about the environment that I grew up in and that you probably grew up in as well yourselves of this environment of what it means to really convert and follow Jesus. And I was thinking back to my experiences um, and I believe I was converted in those churches. And so I'm not going to throw everything out, but there are some things there that can be really damaging Um, because the whole point of that night basically was, because here's what happened is you know, so my character died, spoiler alert. And um, at the end, this father chose Jesus and went to heaven and was reunited with his son in heaven, who was a less handsome version of me in heaven. And the whole point was basically, was not anything about Jesus. It was about not going to hell and about seeing your son again. At the core of it, it was about this just simple, well, of course you're going to choose this right here. But there was no nature of sin. There was no goodness of who Jesus is. It was just this kind of one stop, you better do this, or it's going to go badly for you. And, um, and the truth of that is, that has led to, even in my own life, some bad fruit. So about, I guess about 12, 13 years ago, it's about 25 years old, <laughs> oh gosh, and um, I was in ministry. And uh, without going into detail, I blew it. I completely blew it. Um, There was sin in my life. Um, I was immature. Um, I was a boy in the body of a man. Um, In that moment, I needed more than to not just be scared of hell. Does that make sense? I needed a conversion that had something to it. I need a conversion, a belief, and a God 
who is much more than games and emotions and fear and rewards for me. And I believe that many of us in this room, I believe there's men and women in this room who are not converted to Jesus Christ, in this room right now. You're converted to some form of religion, walked an aisle, and so I pray today you get saved again on some level, or you get saved. I pray today that, we, that you see a picture of Jesus and the Holy Spirit illuminates your heart and you take steps of faith. And for some of us in this room, I hope you see this idea that God wants to convert you over and over and over and over again. And that this is much more than about not going to hell and going to heaven. This is about being converted to a Savior. See, the fruit of our conversions many times is bad fruit. No doubt God has worked in this, but many of us have grown up in a culture and we're bearing the fruits of that culture. So even today for us at our Christians, there is repentance that needs to be done this morning. And that brings us to Paul. And before I kind of jump in um, to the text this morning, I want to talk through who, who is Paul. I Googled this week. This is kind of funny. I was just curious. I Googled the most important people in the history of the world. I, I was just curious to see if Paul made this list. Um, good news, uh, Jesus Christ number one on all the lists, um, um, which of course makes sense. Uh, but I was fascinated because the Apostle Paul uh, was next to George Washington. Abraham Lincoln, he was 6th, he was 12th, he was 27th on some list. This is Time, this is Newsweek, this is major publications. And I tell you that because Paul was a real man. Does that make sense? So Paul was a, a young boy, grew up in Tarsus. His father was probably a tent maker because Paul was a tent maker. That got passed down to your child. And Paul, from a very young age, was this young man who, uh, he was that kid, right? We all kind of want that kid on some level. Where they just, just knew, he knew the law so well. And he followed the law so well. And from a very young age, there was great potential in the Apostle Paul. So much, he was sent to Jerusalem, probably around 16 teenage years, to be trained under a teacher named Gamaliel, who was, which is a very funny name, but, but this teacher we saw in Acts 3. So the church uh, is growing, Peter's healing people, and uh, the Pharisees are not happy. And they're like, we have to put a stop to this, throw them in jail, we need to kill them. And Gamaliel says this, no, no. And it says in the text, he was a man of great honor. Gamaliel was this highly respected teacher of the law. And Paul set under Gamaliel. He had so much potential, was so fluent in the things of God, they said, be with him, learn under him. So Paul was this um, star student, right? But Gamaliel had this philosophy, and you saw it in Acts 3, of the church is growing, and they want to put a stop to it through force. And he says, no, if this is of God, we can't stop it. If it's not of God, it'll stop itself. And so he backed away and said, live and let live. Well, as we know, the Apostle Paul had different thoughts about this. Because the Apostle Paul was so committed to the Torah, to the temple, and these new people, these new Christians these new followers of this teacher named Jesus were basically saying, well, the temple and the Torah go under the banner of Jesus. And to the apostle Paul, this was an affront to everything he believed in. This was like, um, this was heresy, right? And for him, his perspective, the way to fix heresy was to root it out by force. 
not Gamaliel, not live and let live, but to enter in. And through persecution, through arrest, and yes, through murder, we will put a stop to all of this. And see, the Apostle Paul, here's what I want you to hear real quick. The Apostle Paul was a very, very faithful man before his conversion. He was convinced of what he was doing was correct. And his faith had fruit. He was full of zeal. He was doing all these things in the name of God. And for us as the American church, there's some parallels there today. That we, we have faith, but sometimes our faith is not rooted in Christ. It's rooted in other things that are rooted in the West, in America, all these things. So we're we're fully committed to this faith. But the fruit of that faith is materialism. It's racism. It's all these things that we see in our culture that we're committed to that are apart from Christ. Look at what Luke says in in Acts. Before we get to Acts 9, we've seen uh, Paul in some of the texts so far. Acts 7.58 says this. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him, speaking of Stephen. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Acts 8 says this, verse 1. And Saul approved of his execution. So this young man who was so committed, was the star student, showed so much promises, had Stephen's life at his feet, and he approved of his execution. There arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church, and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. There is this picture of this man, of this terrorist. And we're going to read later on this supernatural conversion. And I want you just for a moment to imagine if there was a man in our town doing this, <laughs> it was coming in our homes and takes and throwing us in jail, we would lose our minds. And then just weeks later, this man comes to this podium right here. And he is preaching the gospel. And the question I want us to look at today, what happened in Paul's life? And even bigger than that, we see in Paul's life what things are there that are not true in our conversion. And I will say this, many times growing up, you know, Paul's conversion, we're going to read in a minute, is this kind of supernatural moment that happens. And we have done in the church, we've taken this moment and said, the moment is what's normative. That if you don't get saved just like this, if you don't remember this exact moment that you believed in Jesus and followed him, then you're not saved. But the point is not an exact moment. The point is he encountered Jesus. Does that make sense? And for us, for you in this room, you might not have this exact moment, but you're, you're learning and you're encountering Jesus as you go. The point here is that we encounter Jesus. I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's walk through this text real quick. Acts 9. And Luke is painting a picture of Paul here in Acts 7 and Acts 8 and Acts 9 right here. But Saul, still breathing threats. That is interesting language there. Breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, 
he went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. So imagine this man who is breathing threats and murder against the people of Jesus, just walking down the road. I'm assuming in anger. I don't know that in this text, but I just, you sense it's just kind of, I'm going to root this out. Then all of a sudden, and suddenly, a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I love Jesus' words here because they were pers- he was persecuting the church. But Jesus says, me. And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Man, can you imagine that moment for him? He's walking. He is so convinced of this one thing. And then, boom, Jesus literally shows up. But rise and enter the city. And you'll be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless. Hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, as we all probably would right here, right? Lord, I have heard from many about this man. Lord, you have no idea who you're talking about. How much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell off from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and he was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. Let's keep going. For some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus. Can you imagine what they were thinking as Paul walks in the room? Like, what are you doing here? And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose? to bring them bound before the chief priest. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. 
So Paul came in as the persecutor, and he's leaving trying to prove Jesus. This is the mark of a supernatural conversion. Supernatural conversion. The question we have to ask is what happened in his conversion? What made Paul this minute said he was breathing threats to he was with the disciples? Well, the first thing we see here is he encountered Jesus and believed he was the Messiah. The moment he encountered Jesus and saw Jesus and realized he was the Messiah was the moment everything changed for Paul. N.T. Wright says this. This moment shattered Saul's wildest dreams and at the same split second fulfilled them. God the creator had raised Jesus from the dead, declaring not only that he really was Israel's Messiah, but that he had done what the one God had promised to do himself in person. His lifelong loyalty was utterly right, but utterly misdirected. So in this moment, everything Paul had given his life towards, he believed in the coming Messiah. He believed he was coming to bring restoration. But he fought against the fact that Jesus was this restoration. But in this moment, he saw, he encountered Jesus, and he believed. In uh, verse 22, it says this right here. Saul increased, increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who loomed Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. There was this moment for Paul where he was living his life, studying the Torah, and then he sees Jesus. He sees Jesus, and at that point, everything makes sense. Everything comes into place because Scripture and the Old Testament and all of God's Word only comes into place and makes full sense through Jesus Christ. Even in Jesus, when he resurrected, in Luke 24, says this. He's talking with the disciples. He's resurrected, he says. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So he sees and encounters Jesus, believes he is the Messiah, and it's like this, the scales are lifted, right? Right? He sees clearly. He can hear with faith, in a sense, who God is. John Piper says this. You are converted to Christ when Christ becomes for you a treasure chest of holy joy. See, the Apostle Paul didn't just um, have an experience that was emotional. He didn't just kind of uh, have this kind of weird thing that happened to him. He literally encountered Jesus. And you see this all throughout Acts, right? It was a, a, a group of people that saw a resurrected Jesus. And from that moment, through believing with faith in that Savior, everything changed. And, and I worry for us that we have lost the fear, the worship, the awesomeness that we worship a resurrected Savior. Everything that we do hangs on the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and he is the Messiah. It is only through faith in that that everything else takes care of itself. And so when, when, when we see Jesus, when Paul sees Jesus, at that moment something must change. Because Paul was headed to Damascus for a reason. 
to do a job. But he encounters Jesus, and we see Jesus, when we truly encounter and see Jesus, something must change. Because if Jesus is truly the king, it means that you're not the king. If he is truly the king, we at that moment are not in control. We have nothing to offer. We have nothing to prove. We have nothing to gain except for Jesus. And just very quickly, some of you in this room are here. And I believe you are wrestling with this Jesus question. You are wrestling with Jesus Christ. With the fact, is he the Messiah? Did he truly resurrect? If these things are true, then your life should change. It is that simple. I think about that moment, and I, I had this kind of spirit a few weeks ago where I was just thinking about the idea that Jesus was dead, and then he was alive, and it literally scared me. Does that make sense? Because if that fact is true, if there was a man who raised himself from the dead, there is something outside of me that I have no idea about. It's so mysterious, so much bigger, more powerful, more awesome, more awe-inspiring than anything I can think of. It led to fear of God, an awe of God. That's what Paul encountered in Damascus. He encountered Jesus. But when we encounter Jesus, there's, there's a step we take. This step is called repentance. Look at Acts 22. This is Paul describing um, him meeting Jesus uh, later on. Verse 6. And I was on my way and drew near to Damascus. About noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw a great light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand to those who were with me. See, he started with who. Who is this? Realized it was Jesus, then he moved to what? Listen, our repentance always comes from seeing Jesus first. When we see Jesus, we see the king, it demands a response. Mark 1.14 says, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. When we believe in Jesus Christ and his good news, it always demands repentance. It always demands a turn. See, this picture of repentance was the message all throughout Acts. Acts 2, Peter preaches this. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. He was preaching Jesus, that he was dead, he was crucified and resurrected. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent and be baptized. Acts 3.19, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. And you see two very specific changes right away in Paul. The first, he had a change in his calling. He went from attacking Jesus to proclaiming Jesus. He was literally on the road to do a job. Literally walking down here to do a certain thing, and God changed his calling. Listen, when you 
see Jesus, repent, it always includes you turning in your vocation. You are turning in your life, your calling, in a sense, your dreams. For here's the truth, a better dream, a better vocation, a better calling, which is following and declaring Jesus to a lost world. He went from, in a sense, deciding what he would do, because Paul was this man full of zeal, going around, decided to do this, this, and this, to saying, Jesus, you decide what I do. What's his response? What shall I do, Lord? And that right there is just kind of just core nature of conversion. And when you are converted, you move from saying, what do I want to do, to what shall I do, Lord? So he was converted and changed in his calling. And then he was changed in his position. The one who was once the church's most vehement prosecutor would now be the one who would willingly accept persecution for the sake of the name of Jesus. This is the core point of the Pauline conversion. What Luke is trying to help us see today is that he went from the persecutor to the persecuted. And we follow Jesus. We go from a place of power to a place of weakness. Because Jesus went from a place of power to a place of weakness. And we walk in the ways of Jesus. So for the American church, please hear this this morning. We have to repent of our status, our pride, our power, and put it all on the table because Jesus is the king. He is right. He is good. He is everything, and it demands a response. It demands a repentance of our status. Verse 16. This is Jesus talking to Ananias. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the the sake of my name. He became a sufferer. Which is news that we need to hear. Jesus literally says part of his role be to suffer for my kingdom. Many times we have no desire to suffer because we haven't really encountered, beholded Jesus. Now, we might have had a season where we encountered and beholded Jesus and it demanded us to repent, but we have become grown so cold to the things of God. The idea of suffering for God is just not even our vocabulary. Listen, you suffer for what you love and what you worship. It's that simple. If you want that car, you go into debt because you love it. What we suffer for proves what we truly love, behold, and worship. He saw and he believed. He encountered Jesus and believed he was the Messiah. He repented from what he was doing and from his status and followed Jesus. But there's one more step here I want us to look at. Look at verse 17 and 18. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes. And he regained his sight. Then he rose and he was baptized. Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the other thing you see over and over and over in Acts. Look at Peter again in Acts 2.37. He says, verse 38, repent and be baptized, 
every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus wasn't just this thing to believe. He was literally, we be, you believe in Jesus, you receive the Holy Spirit. And when he receives the Holy Spirit, something happens. Look at verse 27 in Acts 9. But Barnabas took him and he brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among, the, among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. So you see this idea here that when we receive the Holy Spirit, when he receives the Holy Spirit, power and boldness send him out. When he receives his Holy Spirit, he can't help himself but to go out in power and in boldness preach the good news and simply say, Jesus is the Son of God. When you look at Acts, you kind of see this over and over again, that conversion sends these people out these early followers out into the world to declare Jesus, that he is the Messiah, he is the Lord, he is Son of God. And that normally leads to kind of two responses. One is curiosity that many times leads to to new disciples. And second is um, people hate this news and it causes persecution. And, And the question I keep having for us is, does that define us as a church? That people are just so curious because of our conversion, because we are converted to Jesus Christ. They're so just curious about the way we live lives that it demands a response. Or are they so offended because we say, we live, that Jesus is the one true Lord. They want nothing to do with us. And the truth is, many times our lives look no different than the rest of our city. There is, in a sense, no fruit of conversion. That we think of conversion, and this is how I grew up. It was a thing I decided to be a part of. Maybe it was I didn't want to go to hell. Maybe I wanted to be part of this club. Maybe I agreed there's a God. But it was this kind of mental thing that I agreed to. So I said, yes, I agree with that. Like, I agree with, you know, how we should spend money in our government. It was like a thing I just kind of thought, and yes, I believe this. It's just one of those things. But in the book of Acts, you see this childlike faith in who God is, and this receiving of the Holy Spirit. There was this true experience. There was this true change in these people that literally supernaturally sent them out in boldness to declare the things of God. A.W. Tozer says this right here. The Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today. 95% of what we do would go on, and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop, and everybody would know the difference. My fear for us is that, um, honestly, is that A, some of us were never truly converted, and we're just walking in the power of religion. And two, the, those that are converted, we are just so numb to the things of God and the Holy Spirit that we're just off. And we're not seeing a fresh work of God 
because we are just quenching the Holy Spirit through our lives. So what does this mean for us today? The first thing is this right here, and hear this. No matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, no matter what you feel, no matter what you have done, anyone can be converted. Jesus loves everyone. Jesus can do miraculous things in your life. Listen, I know that we know a lot in our day and age, and we have heard the message of Jesus, the story of Paul, over and over and over again. But I am praying right now that the Holy Spirit himself illuminates your heart and shows you there is hope for you. There's hope for your apathy today. There is hope for your frustration today. But it's only found in one thing. That's the King Jesus. That is it. But listen, anyone here can be converted. And that even means for the people who've heard this, who've walked an aisle, who've done all these religious things. But if you're alone in your thoughts, you can just say, you know, I've never truly believed in Jesus, repented of my sins, and received the Holy Spirit, and received this conversion, this change. There's good news for you today. That Jesus is inviting you to encounter him, to believe that he rose from the dead, that he is Messiah, to repent that you're not king anymore, he is the king, and to receive himself, to receive God in you, to then go out and be Jesus to others. So Hayes has been asking me lately, my, my oldest son, he's, he says, because we talk about God, he says, that I can't see Jesus. I don't answer, I don't, I don't, what do I say to that? I'm like, okay. Um, and the truth is, um, we weren't there, Right? Like, we hear these stories. We weren't there at the empty tomb, were we? These, this is passed down because Hayes is going to see Jesus through me. Does that make sense? Like, he's, I see Jesus myself. I've encountered Jesus, and we're the physical representation to the world of what Jesus looks like. But if we're never converted... We're not proclaiming and showing Jesus. We're showing something else, which truthfully is so damaging. I just want to encourage you today, stop. Stop the religious game. It's tearing your soul apart and it's bad for the church. Stop the game today. Anyone can be converted. We have to ask, have we truly been converted? Converted out of our apathy. So, you know, Paul was breathing threats and murder we're just breathing like, eh, okay. That's what we're breathing. Like, we're just kind of here. So the question, are you truly converted? Here, here are some signs. If you have seen the spirit of obedience at work in your life, of so doing sin, inclining you to acts of love, that's a sign of the spirit of God inside of you. You're fighting disobedience, you're inclined to acts of love. Have you seen the spirit of praise in your life filling your heart and leading you to worship Jesus with your, with your affections? Are you actually moved by Jesus? If you're actually moved by Jesus, even this morning I was praying for today, and, I'll, and, and, and literally God put me in those moments, right? Where you're at the end of yourself, and you're broken, and the good news of God, think about the light for a second. The light's really good when things are really dark. 
and he put me back in those, in those spaces to just really draw my affection back for him. So the question I have for you, have you truly felt affection for the things of God? Have you ever seen the spirit of courage where God and his spirit leads you to do bold things for him? That could be as simple as saying hi to your neighbor. But has, he, has the spirit led you to do these things? These are signs that the spirit of God is at work in your life. You have been converted. Now, if you're here in this room and I say these things, you say to yourself, I have never sensed this. I would encourage you to come talk to us today. I really would. Because you can't see Christianity in the New Testament church and not see God at work on some level in our hearts. And we have dumbed this down so much in the American church where if you just say yes, you're good. There should be fruits in our lives. So anyone can be converted. Second, we have to ask if we're truly converted. And third, we need to live lives of being converted over and over and over again. So if you have been converted, it should be the posture of your life to be converted today, converted tomorrow, converted Wednesday, converted Friday, all the days we need to be converted. Galatians 3, 5 says this. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Colossians 2, 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, so walk in him. We receive the Spirit by faith. And we continue to be filled with the Spirit by faith. So how we became converted is how we convert ourselves over and over and over again. Every single day, we should seek to encounter Jesus through his word, through prayer, through others in the church, through all of our lives. We seek to be encountered with Jesus, to repent every single day. We repent and we're filled with the Holy Spirit. That should be the nature of a Christian's life. So my last thing today... What is preventing us from being filled with the Holy Spirit? Just two things I want to put on your put, to, put your attention. First is lack of prayer. It's just lack of prayer. That we um, are full of so many things in our lives: social media, TV, events, appointments, obligations. That is what fills our life, and the fruit of that is our lives. The Spirit cannot move if we are not crying out for the Spirit to move in our hearts. That as the church, as followers of Jesus, dependent on the Spirit, just the mile marker of our lives should be prayer. Prayer. Prayer individually, prayer corporately, prayer with your spouse, prayer with your kids. This should be just the breathing that you do. And last, I want to end with this. Unconfessed sin. Many of us um, are not living converted lives because we have sin we're not confessing to others. Willful sin makes the Spirit of God imperceptible to us. When there is sin in our lives, we will not hear the voice of God we will not be filled by the Spirit of God. We won't be sent out. I was reading a book recently that the highest correlation between people sharing the gospel and other spiritual disciplines was confessing sins. That if you confess your sins regularly and honestly, you will regularly share the gospel. Isn't that interesting? 
But as we confess our sins, it leads us to declare Jesus. And so, if you're a follower of Jesus today, if you would say you're converted, I just want to press on you for a moment before we take communion to ask yourself, is there unconfessed sin in my heart, in my life? Because we will not see a move of God, you will not see a move of God if there is unconfessed sin that you are not working through. And so today is an invitation for all of us, in a sense, that if you're not a follower of Jesus, you've never seen the fruits of conversion, I would encourage you, take out your card, ask a question, come find me or Luke or Weston or one of our other leaders of the church and begin a conversation about Jesus. And for those of you in the room that are converted, that you would say, you do follow Jesus. Is your life marked by prayer? And where is there unconfessed sin? Where there's unconfessed sin, there's a lack of power in the Holy Spirit. So before we attempt to go out into the world, right, and declare and show Jesus, we do work as the church right here. There could be somebody in this room that you need to confess sin to. Could be a spouse, could be somebody you've wronged or have ill thoughts towards. I have no idea. But I would encourage us to church today to do business, to confess sin, to ask God to forgive us, to be filled with His Holy Spirit. Peter says um, in Acts 3 to repent and let the fruits of repentance just bring life to your soul. So today, I would encourage you to confess sin. And let that fruit of repentance just wash over you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for um, all that you have done for us. You have made um, you have made a way for us through Jesus, Lord. And Lord, I ask you right now for the hearts in this room, um, for my own heart, Lord, that we would be renewed by your spirit this morning, Lord. And the things preventing us from renewal in your spirit, Lord, you'd make known to us this morning. Father, move in our hearts today. Lord, speak to the men and women in this room right now. Let's respond in obedience, Father. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to take communion. Um, you have to be a member of our church. Take communion. Be a member of, of God's church. I would encourage you before you come um, to work with God. Come when you're ready.
There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sin is plunged beneath that flood lose all the guilty stay lose all the guilty stains lose all the guilty Plunged beneath that flood, lose all the guilty stains. Dear dying Lamb, thy precious blood shall never lose its power till all the ransom. Church of God, be saved to sin no more. Be saved to sin no more. Be saved to sin no more. Till all the ransom, Church of God, be saved. Saul's conversion in Acts 9. Um, I think kind of the unsung hero in that story is that guy Ananias. It's obviously not the Ananias that was that dropped dead like a few chapters earlier. It's a different guy. But I, I just think like if I were in his shoes and in the middle of the night I hear the Spirit of God calling me to do something, I, like I just think for me probably my first response would not be his which is, here I am, Lord. 
you know, it's very much that Isaiah thing, that Isaiah, who, who will go for us? Who can we send? And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. And I, and I, and I just think, man, how do I, how do I have such an intimate relationship with Jesus that not only do I recognize his voice, but I'm at a place and a posture in my life where I'm willing to be perfectly obedient to him, even when it's something scary, like, like that situation, to go see this murderer and this terrorist. Um, and so as we sing this next song uh, about coming to the altar, a big part of coming to the altar is like laying down yourself. It's about laying down what you think is best or what you think is safe. And following Jesus is not safe. You know, that's that kind of C.S. Lewis thing. It's like if, if we're actually going to follow him, then it's not going to fit into our box of comfortable American safety, comfortable American Christianity. And so is, is that something you're willing to set aside for Jesus? Are you willing to set aside your temporal, temporary 